0: Good morning, everybody. Love you guys. Uh, this is the second week here. We're just doing uh, things a little bit differently, as I shared last week. I I love to teach. I love to systematically look at subjects and just really go in depth on the word and 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 really exegete passages and really i love teaching that's wonderful and vital and it's my comfort zone and so i felt like god was calling me uh for two weeks to just speak on the lord's prayer uh with relatively last week i had no notes i got a couple this week um but just to speak from the heart and teach the lord's prayer and teach us how to pray and how to take practical steps uh in prayer so please uh go back and listen to uh, to last week, if you didn't get to hear it, I just posted it on my Facebook, because I didn't realize it was up on YouTube, but it was, uh, I just didn't realize it, um, Brandy was out of town, normally she posts it to Facebook, uh, but so I just posted it to Facebook, but it's there if you want to go and check it out, and I encourage you to, because we're only halfway through the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to finish up today, so the Lord's Prayer is from Matthew 6, uh, starting verse 11, maybe? Uh, And basically, Jesus is giving instruction on how to pray. And then in an account in Luke, the disciples come to him and ask him, how should we pray? And that's how he responds. And if you wonder sometimes, and this is just a little fun note, but if you wonder sometimes how come different gospel accounts are different, like in, uh, in Matthew 6, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that he throws in the Lord's Prayer in there, teaching them how to pray. In Luke, it's... It's them asking him how should we pray and then he tells it so one of the reasons that there's differences is Jesus was a uh, he was a teacher and he's going from town to town and town to town teaching uh, for three and a half years so the disciples are rehearing the same messages often over and over and so sometimes when they account oh he said this and this and then another account says he said this and this and it's just slightly different it's because they were hearing tons of different messages Where, you know, I could say, I could reiterate some things this week that I said last week, and I might say them slightly differently. And if someone was recording last week and recording this week, there would be small discrepancies. Does that make sense? But I'd still be saying the same thing. And so that's just a little fun one for you for why there's different uh, accounts at times, or different wording at times, because, you know, he's speaking all the time, and he's just... He's not, he doesn't have to go word for word in every single message, and he's going from town to town. That's just a little fun note. Um, we're in between messages right now, um, in between series. I just did, you know, Power of the Tongue series, um, which was nine months. Uh, you can go and check out any of those if you want. Uh, and then I have a series that's going to be on tradition, and it's going to be uh, the layout for each thing that we approach is going to be Tradition versus biblical mandate. Is this actually something mandated versus biblical principle? Is it simply a principle that we're deriving from Scripture and we've made it into a tradition? Which isn't necessarily wrong, but it can become wrong when we try to place it on other people as if it's an actual mandate and it's not. Traditions are beautiful things. So we're going we're gonna to look at that and tackle a, a myriad of subjects. Uh, So we're just doing two weeks here on the Lord's Prayer. And then September 26th is a year since Dad passed away. So for um, next week and the week after that, we're going to do two services um, where we just kind of take a look at that. I I have a message on my heart that I shared with the youth, um, which is all about this concept that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does our Father in heaven and um, I felt like the Lord told me just to talk about, talk about dad, talk about your relationship uh, with your father to the youth and to just constantly tie it back into that verse. Because I had an amazing father and so many of us have a hard time relating to God as father because we've had broken relationships with our fathers. And so um, the encouragement the whole night was. If you don't have a father figure, just look to my dad and look to how he treated you. Look to how he treated me and us children and tie that into God. And just understand that God is far, far greater, far, far more perfect than, than dad ever was. So that'll be next week. And then uh, the week after that, we're going to have dad speak to us. Uh, one of his recorded messages where we'll, we'll actually see him, though. He recorded it with a video camera. Um, and it's his, his life message, what he was all about, intimacy, character, and power. And so we'll have him speak to us two weeks from now, September 30th. Um, so the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is vitally important. If, if the disciples asked, how do we pray? And if in another sense, he's talking about prayer and how, uh, how the Pharisees just want to be seen by others and you're use, using vain repetition. And then Jesus says, this is how you should pray. He said, go get by yourself, get alone. Now, we know we can't take that and make an extreme out of it. Uh, We know we're allowed to pray publicly because we have examples of Jesus praying publicly. But his whole thing he was addressing was, don't do it to be seen by others. Don't do it to receive glory from others, to look spiritual. That's what he was warning against. But we do have a command here to get alone and spend time with God, to get alone and talk to him. And so for about... Six years now, five or six years now, I have used the Lord's Prayer as a template, uh, as an outline for when I come to God and pray and spend time with Him. Um, So my encouragement today, we're going to do some songs and whatnot, is to get uh, relaxed, get into your your praying zone and your worshiping zone. And, you know, you can spread out and do whatever. That's fine. Um, You know, positions of worship are too... To line up our body with where our heart is. You know, we're called to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's, it's all of us. It's all of our being. So when I lay on my face before God, it's me saying, in my heart, I'm surrendered to you. And I'm demonstrating that in my body. Does that make sense? And when I'm raising my hands to him, I'm saying, God, in my heart, I'm reaching out to you. So I'm demonstrating in my body that I'm reaching out to you. Okay, does that make sense? These are the the positions of worship, but they have some kind of meaning to them. And they help our body, soul, and spirit to all align with what we're going after. You know, a friend who came to me once and said, oh, my prayer life is just so dry. And I told him, do you pray out loud? He said, no. I said, well, that's probably one of your problems. And I told him, get up. Pace back and forth. Talk out loud to God. Get your body involved because you've fallen asleep. You're tired because you're just sitting there. And you're not talking out loud. I said, get everything involved. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And within a week, he came back to me because he listened and did that stuff. And he said, oh, my goodness, my, my prayer life went from 10 minutes to an hour every day. I'm just spending time with him. And I pace back and forth, and I get into it, and I get hungry, and I, and I spend time with him. And so we get our whole body involved. We love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What did that have to do with anything? I don't know. Um, so about five or six years ago, I shared this last week. I know some of you weren't here, but uh, God just really changed the way I prayed. Because for all my life, when I would come to God, it was unworthy me. And I would kind of beat myself up. about oh, I haven't spent enough time with you. No, I didn't do that every single time. If I was, um, if I was spending a lot of time with God, I didn't come like that. Because I, I felt worthy to be before him. And so, but often if I, if I neglected him for a day even, I'd come and I'd just be beating myself up. God, I'm unworthy. And, and, and that's how I would approach his presence. And I felt like he stopped me um, about six years ago. And I felt like he said, don't even approach me unless you believe you're my son. And unless you believe I love you. And that just shifted the entire way that I pray and approach God because it was, it was my habit to come to him and beat myself up, to come to him in repentance every time, and then we can get on to praying. It's like I have to earn my way back into his love where we have a challenge that the first line is our father. And the apologizing, the forgive me of my sins, Lord, is not till line five. It doesn't come till later. And, and as I looked at this and I just adopted it as my template for prayer, probably a good idea, right? Considering Jesus told us, this is how you should pray. Um, is that the first thing I do is say, our father. And I, sometimes I'll, I'll take 30 minutes just on that because it's so in me to, to repent, almost grovel and just taking the time to recognize you're my father. You're my Abba. And you love me right now. You love me. I don't have to earn anything. You just love me. And I'm actually your son. I'm your son. I belong to you. I'm I'm in your house. And so I take time to meditate on that, to focus on that. And now my whole thing was in, in doing this, as you go through the Lord's Prayer, even if you get through it in five minutes, that's fine too. But stop at each line meditate on it, focus on it, ask God, what would you have me to understand about this? And so almost every time I start with singing to God about how he's my father, or I meditate on how he's my father, I I, I just speak it over myself. You're my father. You're my daddy. You love me. And And if I am having trouble believing it, I just keep going until I believe it. And then I approach him in prayer because we have to believe that he loves us. We have to believe that we belong to him, that we're precious to him. Um, Can't do last week's message. Uh, The next is, um, hallowed be your name. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallowed means holy, sacred, reverent, perfect in every way. And so I'll treat it as a time where I pray that his name would be hallowed in America. I pray that his name would be exalted and lifted up and seen for the revered sacred name that it is. I cry out for that, but then I'll also worship him saying, God, your name is hallowed. Your name is holy and perfect and righteous. I'll just talk to him like that sometimes, just go on and on about your name and how creation demonstrates who you are and your faithfulness, the, the, the rising and setting of the sun, and the mountains and the clouds every day and uh, just all the beauty, God, like it's all your name, it's all the attributes of God. And I'll just speak to him for a while and worship him. And often I'll take my guitar or turn on, worship music, and get my mind off of myself and just focus on his hallowed name. Just focus on holy is the Lord. Not addressing myself, not addressing my own needs, holy is the Lord. And I and I camp there for a while. Then your kingdom come, your will be done. To me, this is the first opportunity to really pray and to ask God, God, What's your will? What's your will for this situation? What's your will for that situation? What's your will in this situation? And listen and see if he leads you how to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in certain situations. And it's such a beautiful prayer because it's a recognition that I don't have the answer. When I pray for a lost friend, I don't have the answer. I don't know if God needs to bring them lower for a time before, before they finally come to him. I don't know if they, they need a miracle. I don't know if it's an intellectual battle they have. I don't know the perfect answer. And so I pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done for that person, God. And, and I just cry out for it. And if he gives me a leading for something specific to pray for, then I go into that. Makes sense? um give us today our daily bread uh last week we went over how i take this time to to ask god for needs and honestly as i look at this this might be different for some people i don't see in america for the average joe that we have a need for daily bread i mean we're that that's a context like food to eat so you don't starve that's, that's like the context there that we're dealing with. And remember, Jesus is speaking to the poor. Very often the poor are following him. They literally need daily bread to live, to survive. And, so, and notice it says, our Father, that connects us to the whole church. And it's not just about you and Father, even though that's beautiful, it's wonderful, me and my Abba. But I connect it to the whole church, our Father. And I pray for all others that they would come to know him as father. That that believers would would be healed of father wounds and know him as father. But then give us today our daily bread. So I pray for third world countries. I pray for places where they literally need daily bread. They literally need it to survive. And I cry out for them. I cry out for people to be sent to help. I, I, I challenge myself and say, God, what can I do with the blessings I have? with the funds I have, where can I give more? You know, we, we give to, to lots of places where we've just, through the years, felt like God's calling us to give, God's calling us to give, and we're just gripped. And, you know, if you're gripped over something and you don't do anything about it, that's just silly. <laughs> it's pointless. It's, it's, it's a pointless gripping. It's like, oh, I was so gripped, I cried over that one. Well, do something. Whether it be praying and crying out or sending funds, do something to help when you're gripped by the broken world and people who are in need. And so I take that time to cry out for that. But then I also spiritualize that one that Jesus is our daily bread. He said he's the bread that came down from heaven. You you must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood if you want to be a part of him. If he doesn't wash our feet, we can have no part of him. Uh, he is our everything. He says I, I will give you water so that you'll never thirst again. And so I cry out God give me my daily portion of Jesus. Give me my daily dose of Jesus. You are all I need. That's it. You're the daily bread. Even if we starve to death, if I have the daily bread of Jesus, I'm good, right? Starve to death, you have Jesus, you're good, right? It's all taken care of, no problem. He's our daily portion. He's all we need. And so I'll spend time crying out, just Jesus. I just want Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. Forgive me my sins. Forgive us. It's corporate again. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. forgiving us of our sins in an ongoing way. Luckily with Jesus, if you're not practicing sin and actively living a sinful lifestyle, then you're his child. If you've put your faith in him and believe on him for salvation, you're his child. You can struggle with sins. It will happen. And, and this is seen in Scripture, that if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Go to him, confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John. And so we know that as believers, we can struggle with sin. But if we actively choose to live a lifestyle of sin, and the conviction of the Lord has come, and Scripture speaks against it, and we actively live in it, I don't know where the line is, but you're on dangerous ground. Get out of that place. Because scripture is clear that you're not his child. At that same book that says we have an advocate with the father, uh, First John also says that if we practice sin, he's not in you. He's not in you. If you live a lifestyle of sin, he's not in you. You don't belong to him. And so in an ongoing way, we ask for forgiveness, recognizing that even though you're his child, even though you do belong to him, And yeah, you can struggle with sins and whatnot, but we recognize that even on your best day, even on your perfect day where you're being led by the Spirit, we still fall short of the glory of God. And even if you did everything perfect and His Spirit was in you, it was still His Spirit, not you. And there's this recognition that says on any day, Father, forgive me. Father, I need fresh forgiveness But notice also it says, forgive us. And so we cry out for mercy on others that God would. I I usually pray, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I also pray, um, grant them repentance. Just get them to a point of conviction where they will repent. I pray for believers and non-believers alike. There is this unbelievable biblical principle about forgiveness of sins that i i have a hard time wrapping my mind around in john 20 22 through 23 it says this when he has said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they're forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld anybody ever seen this verse oh my goodness I'm like, Jesus, I've, I've read this one so many times. Why did you say that? If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. Now we know everybody's accountable to God, right? We 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 look at scripture holistically. We don't build a doctrine just around one verse. We look at the rest of scripture. We know that everybody is accountable for, before God. Yet we have radical verses like the one that Paul talks about where, where he says, oh wife, you know, stay with your unbelieving husband because he's sanctified because of you. I'm like, what? How does that work, God? It, don't they stand before you in judgment for their own sins? Yes, I totally stand by that. I believe that because Scripture teaches it. But I see these radical verses, and I'm just like, the grace of God. I, I, that there's something about because they've become one flesh that Paul says he's sanctified because of your relationship with God. He's sanctified. I'm like, that's crazy. I don't fully understand that. But there's something so powerful about us Lending forgiveness to others. It's powerful and vital. And so it grieves my heart when believers take a stance of, yes, God, judge, judge the wicked. Do you know go after this and, and and bring this one to folly? It's like, no, we need to lend forgiveness if we want to see God's mercy. And so I cry out for mercy for our nation, for all the evil that's been done. And I say, God, forgive us. I, I put myself right smack dab in the nation with the worst of sinners. I say, forgive us, God. We need forgiveness as a nation. And so, yeah, how, how was he able to say this? Was, just, was this just a command for the apostles we have to look and, and see, you know, from other scripture, we know there's certain commands that are given. Okay, it's given to the whole church. And, and, and we see that because it's reiterated throughout scripture. This one isn't. So I have to look at it and say, God, was this just some awesome power and authority that you were giving to the apostles as they're establishing your kingdom and, and, and beginning it? I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer there. But I know that I, I'm not going to withhold forgiveness from others. I'm not going to withhold it because this verse is powerful that it says, if I forgive someone else's sins, it's forgiven. And this, of course, brings back to us Jesus' word that, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That while he's on the cross, while he's dying, he's looking out and saying, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And I relate this to any believer that's trapped or struggling in sin or any unbeliever. If you truly knew the death of sin, if you truly knew what it leads to, if you truly knew what it was doing to your relationship with God, you wouldn't be doing it. You're blind. Anytime, as, as James said, when we look into the perfect law of liberty and then walk away and do the opposite, he said, it's like a man looking in the mirror and immediately forgot what he looks like. You're blind. You can't remember how horrible sin is and how good it is to walk holy. We forget Immediately. And so I'm able to pray for unbelievers and believers like, God, forgive them for that sin. They clearly don't see what they're doing. They clearly are blinded. Please help them. Let them see. Grant them forgiveness and grant them repentance that they would repent of this. And so don't withhold forgiveness from others. Then again, this biblical concept, Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-nine 29 through 31 the people of the land have practiced extortion this is this is god speaking through one of the prophets and committed robbery they've oppressed the poor and needy they've extorted from the sojourner without justice and sought for a man or and i sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that i should not destroy it but i found none isn't this wild that god in his sovereignty all power has decided to give the earth to us. And he will sit on his hands, so to speak. And oftentimes, he won't move unless we call. He won't exalt us unless we humble ourselves. We, we don't find salvation, in, yes, unless we call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. He has made a decision in his sovereignty to give us free will and to give earth free will to where he said, if somebody would have stood in the gap, if somebody would have cried out for this nation and said, God, have mercy on us, I would have listened. But I found nobody who was willing. What were the righteous doing? Were they calling for judgment? Were they crying out, God, judge the wicked? Quite possibly. But he was saying, I was looking for somebody who would stand up and say, have mercy on them, God. Forgive them. Let this nation repent. And he said, I didn't find anybody. And so I'm going to destroy the place. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. So this is a sobering verse. And so I, I see that with our nation. Many Christians and believers who just get upset with the world that's sinning. It, is sin upsetting? Absolutely. Is it horrible? Absolutely. But I cry out. I stand in the gap and say, God, forgive us. Forgive this nation. Have mercy on us, God. Stay your hand of judgment and grant us repentance. Grant us revival. Have mercy and grant them forgiveness. It's, oftentimes it's a heart issue for us in lending forgiveness to others. Because it's, it's like a caveat in the verse that it's expected that you've already forgiven others. It says, Father, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others their sins. It's not saying, oh, and also help us to forgive others. It's saying, I've already done it. I've forgiven others of their sins. In the same way I did that, go ahead and forgive me my sins as well. This verse should be challenging to many believers who hold on to unforgiveness and hold on to bitterness that it's not even an option to pray to ask God to help you forgive there. It's just expected that you've already forgiven others. Why is that expected? Because he forgave you everything. When we truly understand the sin nature and truly understand that it's not our holiness, it's not our righteousness, it's only him, then we have the understanding that, oh, I'm not better than any other person. I had nothing in and of myself that could bring me into his presence. Nothing. It was because of his blood. That's it. That's it. That's it. And when I understand that, and when I understand how wicked and vile I am apart from his grace, I'm able to forgive anyone. And I'm able to understand that even the most vile of sinners, you think, oh, I could have never done that. You don't know that. You don't know the sin nature is evil and wicked. And if you were born into the wrong circumstance, I was gonna say the right circumstances to make you into that sinner, it would happen. It would happen. The sin nature is no respecter of persons. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we're all capable of the most vilest of sins. And when we truly understand that, we cannot withhold forgiveness. We can't. And this, this one is intense in Scripture, right? Jesus talks about the guy, I forgave you everything, and I, I erased your debt. And then he went out and begins choking another man who owes him a very small amount. And he throws, him in, throws the guy in jail and said, how could you be so ungrateful? I forgave you everything because you asked. And you're holding this against your brother. And he says, you're given over to tormentors. Now, I'm not going to go into depth on, on um, exegeting that verse, but I don't believe that verse is talking about hell. Uh, We can look at verses that are talking about hell, but I believe it is here on earth in your relationship with God, even as a believer, you can have unforgiveness in your heart and you're given over to torment. You're given over to demonic power. Even I believe you can still be his child in the midst of that. Um, But it's vital that you get out of it. It's vital that you get out from the tormentors. And it's a sobering verse where he's saying, I'll give you over to them. I'll give you over to tormentors. And all that needs to be done is giving forgiveness to others, but it, it comes with recognizing that he's forgiven us. Once we recognize he's forgiven us and we recognize how vile we are apart from him, then we're able to give out forgiveness. And so this time in my prayer, I come before him and I ask him, God, forgive me of any sins that I'm unaware of or that I'm aware of, make me aware. I, at, I spend time just saying, try my heart, oh God, see that my intentions are pure. And then I wait and I listen. Is he showing me anything that I need to repent of? Is he showing me anything? Notice, I haven't got to this line. But sometimes I haven't got to this line for 30 minutes. It's totally changed my paradigm of how I approach God. It's that I recognize he loves me, and I go through the other things first. And finally, by this time, usually the conviction of the Lord has already come over something. Instead of me beating myself up, I feel his sweet rebuke, his good, precious rebuke that shows me I'm his child, and he showed me something I can repent of. But I also pray, God, forgive us of our sins, I pray for the church body, I pray for the nation, God forgive us, forgive us Just, I just lend out all of them, forgive us of our sins and then I cry out that the church would forgive others of sins, because it says as we forgive others of their sins and I try myself during that time too and say, God you know what I usually do? who irritates you? who gets under your skin a little bit? now, that's not a sin that someone gets under your skin, it's not It's not a sin that someone irritates you. How are you treating them? That'll tell you if you have unforgiveness in your heart. How are you treating them? How do you talk about them? How do you pray for them? That's the great revealer of if you have unforgiveness in your heart. So I'll often during this time be like, God, I feel like I've forgiven this person over and over. I still have those weird feelings around them. Try my heart. Go deep. Do I need to be healed of anything? And, And of course, God, I lend them forgiveness. I lend them forgiveness. And... And so I just challenge myself and go through that time of forgiving others. Even if I think I've already forgiven them, it's fine. I go ahead and go through it again. And I ask that God would change my feelings towards them, uh, change my attitude towards them. If that's out of line, that's showing us clearly we haven't forgiven. When you forgive, it's an action. It can be seen. It can be seen in the way you treat them. It will be shown in action. Does that make sense? Uh, So... During this time on this line, let's ask God to challenge your heart. God, is there anything I need to repent of? Or maybe he's going to call you during this time to pray for forgiveness uh, for others, that, that he would forgive the church. Maybe that's something you're not used to praying. Maybe it's, it's just always about you and God. Maybe this is a time where you need to cry out for the nation and lend forgiveness and ask God to forgive the nation, ask God to forgive the church, ask God to forgive this or that person, that you would lend that forgiveness. And it's like we're a vessel. His forgiveness wants to come, like in Ezekiel. I want to lend forgiveness, but I can't. Nobody's standing in the gap. It's not that he literally can't. It's that he's chosen in his sovereignty to give us free will, and he won't act unless someone cries out. And so it's almost like we're withholding the beautiful forgiveness of God that could come on someone if we're holding on to it. That's a sobering thought. I don't want to withhold forgiveness and repentance for someone because of my, my own uh, selfishness and evil in my heart. I have to lend it to others. And so during this time, just ask God, try my heart. Let's just ask him that right now. God, try my heart. See that my intentions are pure. Go inside, do a work. Who, who, am I, who have I not forgiven, God? And God, forgive me of my sins, God. Challenge me right now, God. How would you have me to pray on this, on this outline, on this number, on your outline here, God? Well, I hope you forgave anyone that you were holding anything against during that time. This is so vital, and like I said in the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's a given. It's not, you're not even supposed to be asking for him to help you forgive. Go ahead and ask him to help you to forgive if you haven't forgiven. That's perfectly fine. No problem. Anything we struggle with, we come to it and ask him to help us, ask him to fix us. Only he can do it. But it's, it's just like a, a no-brainer in the verse. It says, as we've already forgiven everyone. Like, we've already done it in the same way we have. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. This verse is, I love where it's at in here, and I love how vital it is. And to me, it's a verse about complete humility, complete dependence on God. Now, we know from Scripture that God can't tempt you anyways. We, we can look at James Uh, James 1 13 through 15 says says let let no one say when he is tempted I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I love that James just cuts through all our lies and deception, that we put blame on everything else. He says, it came from your own desires. You were enticed. It came from your own desires. It didn't come from this person or that person or this demon or that demon. It came from you. Can, can Satan tempt us? Sure. But James is still saying, no, it came from you. The temptation has no power unless we give into it, Right? understand something here. When I pray this, I say, God, lead me not into temptation. I'm, I'm humbling myself and saying, God, I'm liable to fall today. I am. I'm liable to fall today. You feel like you're on top of the world with God? Beware. Pride comes before the fall. And, and I recognize, God, even if I feel like I'm doing everything right in your presence, I'm, I'm living for you. I humble myself right now and say, help me. Don't lead me into temptation. When that fork in the road comes, when, I, when a temptation comes, lead me the other way. Help me. I need your help. I am a man. I am liable to fall. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I need you. I humble myself and say, God, you lead me in your paths of righteousness today. I need your help or I'm going to fail you know you hear me talking right now but this is how I'll talk to God about it like, those are the same words I'm saying to him God I, I need you today I know I'm going to fail if I don't have you I know when that, when that temptation comes it's so easy for me to, to snap to say that thing that I shouldn't have said it's so easy help me I'm recognizing right now God I'm humble before you I need your help today or I'm going to fail lead me in your righteousness don't let me fall into temptation deliver me from the evil one The enemy's not out here to break down your car. The enemy's not out here to give you the flu. He's out here to get you to sin. That's it. That's his purpose. That other stuff is is minuscule. It's nothing. It's, it's, It's a breeze. It's passing away. He's after getting you to sin. Is he the one who broke down your car? I don't know. I don't care. The question is, did I sin? The question is, did I start complaining? Or did I choose to rejoice in all things? Again, I say rejoice. That's what the enemy's after. So when things happen, I don't have to find out, is this God doing this? Is this the enemy? I have to determine I will not sin. I will not sin in the midst of it. That's what the enemy's after. He's after getting you to sin. You know, I I relate this to dad. Why did he get brain cancer? Don't know. Don't care. I don't need to know. The enemy wasn't after giving him brain cancer. He wasn't. I truly believe that. The enemy was after getting him to sin, getting him to curse God, getting him to complain in the midst of it. That's what the enemy wanted. That's his end goal. So regardless of where bad things come from, it it doesn't matter. We don't need to know. The question is, are you sinning in the midst of it? That's what the enemy's after. And that's how we conquer him. When you get the flu, when you get this or that, you don't, you don't start placing blame and putting an unhealthy emphasis on, oh, I've got to get healed. This is attack from the enemy. Fine if it is. If the Spirit leads you to, to pray against it, fine. Perfectly fine. But the big thing is the enemy wants you to sin. In the midst of whatever comes, that's what he's after. That's the temptation being talked about. That's deliver me from the evil one that's being talked about. It's not saying deliver me from, from getting in a car accident today. Sudden death, sudden glory, okay? (laughs) Things are going to happen in life. Bad things are going to happen. That's not deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from the evil one is temptation to sin. That's what I'm crying out. That is of utmost importance in our life. I want to walk holy. Be holy as your Father is holy. Be holy as your Father is holy. That's what the enemy wants out of us. He wants us to sin. Make sense? Uh, lastly is, for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word amen, amen, it means let it be so. It also means I agree with everything that's been said. That's why we say it at the end, and that's why corporately people can say it. They're, they're, they're giving agreement that, oh, yes, Joel, what you just prayed we say amen to it. We say, let it be so, and I agree with what has been said. And so it ends with saying, let this time with God, this, this, what I've prayed, what I've been after, let it be so. I agree with what's been said. But notice it ends with, yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. This line reminds me much of, hallowed is your name. And so for me, in my prayer life, when I use this as an outline, I go through it. My father, I spend time with my father. Meditate on that. Hallowed be your name. I worship him for a while. I cry out for his name to be hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray for others. I pray for his kingdom come, will to be done in my life. Give us today our daily bread. We already went over that. You go go through that. And then, uh, what's the next one? Oh, forgive us. Forgive us our sins. So go through that. But if you just follow this outline, you can spend a lot of time with God. And take time on each thing. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. And then how do I end my time with God? I worship Him once again. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I I just spend time again worshiping with Him. Notice how little time in the Lord's Prayer we're spending it looking at ourselves. You don't need to get introspective unless the Holy Spirit takes you there. And only that line right in the middle, notice the line that's a little bit introspective, asking for forgiveness of sin, it's sandwiched with worshiping him, worshiping him. My eyes are fixed on him. When my eyes are fixed on him, I can see more clearly. And so I spend time fixed on him in the beginning. At the end, I I end my time fixed on him once again, praising his name for who he is. So please, if you don't have a prayer life or it's lacking, Go to Matthew 6, verse whatever, 9 through 15, something like that. Go to Matthew 6, read that template, and take it one line at a time and spend time with God. I know there's right-brained people that, oh, it's all about connecting with him and filling his spirit. And I know there's left-brained people where you don't get that. But the, the important thing is obedience. We choose to obey him that he told us to pray, that he told us to pray often. As Paul said, pray without ceasing. Okay, so we know that we're supposed to pray. We know that he told us, go, lock the room, get by yourself, and pray like this. Don't pray these exact words, but pray like this. Sometimes I'll pray those exact words, but I want them to have their full meaning. But in obedience, we choose to pray and spend time with him. And so take this template, incorporate it into your life, and spend time with him. And just go one line at a time. Yeah? amen. Thank you, Lord. God, bless this body, God. Forgive us of all of our sins, God. Uh, Let us enter into intimacy with you, God. Let prayer come alive in each and every person here, God. Everyone's struggling in their prayer life, God. May they listen and take this template that you told us to pray, and that we would bring it into our lives and spend time with you, going over each line, God. Just put a conviction on each of us, a remembrance to go and do that, God. Uh, We love you. We love you. It's, It's all about you, God. We praise your name. You are worthy. Amen.